welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Children, if you haven't got a children's uh, pack yet, uh, there are some in the back if you haven't grabbed one already. Um, we're going to finish our series this morning uh, in Isaiah chapter 9. If you're just joining us or uh, haven't been with us throughout the Advent season, on the four Sundays of Advent, we have taken uh, those four names that are revealed to us by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, uh, the, the, um, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. What we'll consider this morning is our unending hope. This king that has come, this kingdom will have no end, or hope unending uh, is what we are calling us. Uh, calling it. Let me, let me say this again. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I'm glad that you made it. Uh, all you parents out there, uh, especially Merry Christmas to you. Well done for getting here uh, this morning. And did you know that it won't be until 2033 that Christmas will fall on a Sunday again? Did you know that? That will hit a leap year, so we'll skip over it once, and so it won't be again until 2033. That's 11 years from now. And so this is a special time that we get to celebrate with our church family. But I want you to consider for a moment, uh, what, what will your life be like in 11 years? <laughs> the, the next time we celebrate Christmas uh, on a Sunday, 11 years from now, what will your life look like in 11 years? What did your life look like 11 years ago? You and I both know that, that a lot have happened for, for good, for bad, for, for glory, for hardship. There's a lot of things that can happen in 11 years. We were thinking about this last night. I told Brittany, my wife, uh, last night that in 11 years, I think two of our kids, uh, if they go to college, at least will be out of, out of high school at that point. That's, that's hard to imagine. Where will your life be in 11 years? And in some ways, it, it may not seem terribly long. 11 years, but when you consider everything that's happened over the past 11 years in our world and your life, you, you realize that a lot can happen in, in that time. It's often said that we can overestimate what can be accomplished in a year, and we often underestimate what can be accomplished in 10 years. Here's what I'm getting at. Here's why I want you to consider this uh, this morning. It's, it's easy to get stuck in moments of time and, and miss the big picture. It's easy to get stuck in moments of time and, and forget who is on the throne, forget who is controlling history, who is unfolding things before us, and it's easy to get stuck in moments and for, forget what God has accomplished, what God can accomplish, and what God will accomplish. And when we get to the prophet Isaiah, you may remember this if, if you've been with us throughout the series, but I'm going to remind you here as we go through this this morning, that the people of God were in such a moment and needed to hear what, was God, what God was up to. I, I, Isaiah wasn't uh, uh, saying that dramatically when he says, the people who are walking in gloom, the people who are dwelling in anguish, because you remember what he says, they're dwelling in deep darkness, they're going through the valley of the shadow of death. It is a dark time for the people of God. And in that moment, God speaks into that and promises light, that glory is coming. So, so remember this, where the people of God are in Isaiah chapter 9. 
where they are nationally and where they are spiritually. They're being overrun by the Assyrians, the powerhouse of the time. Spiritually, they're struggling with who are we going to worship? Are we going to try to partner with the powers of the world, partner with the political parties that be, and try to gain uh, influence that way? Are we going to worship the gods of other cultures or, or the gods of the Assyrians? And God sends them the prophet Isaiah. They don't listen to him, and they're really in a bad spot. And so here they are, face-to-face with the kingdom of Assyria. Let me tell you a few things about Assyria. You may remember some of this when we talked about Jonah. I believe that was over the summer. Uh, But the people of God were under the the, uh, the pressure of the Assyrian Empire. Assyria was at its height when Isaiah was writing. And here's what one historian says. He says, Before the sun never set on the British Empire... Before Rome extended its influence to encircle the Mediterranean Sea, there was ancient Assyria. Considered by historians to be the first true empire, Assyria's innovations laid the groundwork for every superpower that has followed. Assyria was governed by a single leader overseeing various territories. Assyria kept expanding and expanding and expanding and overtaking territories through conquest. It seemed like the increase of their government would have no end. Do you see where we're starting to go here? They moved from a city-state to an empire, and their their kingdom experienced great increase. Assyrians were military innovators and cruel punishers of their enemies. And they would deport populations and spread them to strategic places around their kingdom in order to break them, to rob them of their culture, to rob them of their identity, so they would infiltrate into them and serve the Assyrian Empire. That was their plan to bring peace. And in some ways, they brought peace. And in in some ways, much like you might think with the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, and and the, the expanse of those empires throughout the ancient world. These kings of Assyria claimed absolute power. The nation was powerful. They were organized and seemingly unstoppable. Its increase seemed endless. And because of that, the people of God found themselves in a very dark spot. Spiritually and nationally, Assyria was now knocking at their door and just about to overrun them. And Assyria, God would allow Assyria as judgment upon that nation to overrun the people of God. But don't miss the grace of God in moments like this. Even in the darkest of nights, even in the gloomiest of times, even in the coldest of winters, God promises light and glory to his people. In this moment, God has promised a child. He promised this in Isaiah chapter 7 that Emmanuel, God will be with you, people of God. I will not leave you or forsake you. I will come to you. He promised that this, this son this would be virgin born, that he would be born supernaturally, that this would be God in the flesh. Isaiah 9 is telling us this. For unto us a child is born, he will be human. Unto us a son is given, he will be divine. This will be the child that comes from heaven itself, God's one and only Son, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, the announcement of the angels, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So here's what I want you to know. In the face of this oppressive kingdom, Assyria, 
that seemed to have an unending increase, who brought peace by the sword, by flexing their power, by becoming more powerful, by crippling the people around them, robbing them of their culture, robbing them of everything, by these, as it, as it says, who, who had garments rolled in blood, who were tramping warriors and were in battle, the, the Lord says, fear not, Emmanuel is coming. A king is coming. A child is coming. A virgin-born child is coming. Emmanuel is coming. And he will be, here's our three points this morning, or more or less, he will be the true king. He will be the eternal king. And he will be the good king. So the first thing I want you to consider this morning, let's read this again. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. He's the true king. He's the everlasting king. And he is the good king. Verse 7. Unto us child is born, son is given, government on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So do you feel the weight? It's a serious place. And don't, don't be mistaken. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. That tells me something. Assyria is going to end. They don't get the last word. Oh, this is good news. I'm skipping ahead. But know this about this. If, if you are living in a dark spot, know that dark, darkness does not get the last word. Christ gets the last word. Comfort, comfort, comfort my people. War is over. Your iniquity is forgiven. Hear the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, that Christ comes to redeem sinners. I'm getting to the conclusion already, but I don't want you to miss that. Of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the true king. And whether we want to admit it or not, as wicked as Assyria was, as, as, as difficult as some of our worldly governments are today, we still want to be ruled by a good king a true king, an everlasting king. We know that we are creatures. We know deep in our hearts, hopefully, that we are not sovereign, that we need someone to rule over us and sin and direct us in our way. The people of God rebelled against that in the Garden of Eden because they rebelled. We too are born sinners. And we need someone to lead the way for us. We need to be governed and we need to be governed well. And notice what the Lord says through his prophets, through his prophet, that the promised child will shoulder on his shoulders. He is the true king. Only he is able to shoulder what we so desperately need, that his kingdom will bring unending hope, unending peace, and unending increase, and his kingdom will have no end. He is saying this is the true king, and this is the true kingdom. He will roll up all the bloody robes and use them for fuel of the fire. He will be victorious. This child will be the true king. He will be the one who shoulders it all. There is nothing, is what he is saying, in world history that is not under his sovereign hand. 
This is what John said in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. In the beginning there's nothing created that was not created by the second person of the Trinity who took on flesh and dwelled among us. John tells us that this King is God himself in the flesh, in the manger. The wise men recognized this. The wise men recognized that this was the true king. Even King Herod, the wicked earthly king at the time of the fulfillment of this prophecy, the fulfillment being in Jesus Christ at his birth, even the wicked earthly king was threatened by this child in the manger because he knew what the claim was. It was not mistaken to him that this was the true king and the true kingdom and Herod knew that his kingdom would not last forever so he wanted all those babies killed because he knew that his kingdom was threatened by the yoke breaker by the rod breaker by the ender of all wars as promised in Isaiah chapter 9 all other kingdoms rise on the power of for of rise on the wings of power and force All other kingdoms fall as they weaken and decrease and as a stronger power arises. But the true king, the true king humbles himself to a manger. The true king humbles himself to the point of death. The true king brings light to our darkness by becoming like us and laying his life down for the sake of his people. This is the true king. And that's what Isaiah promises, that of his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. So we need to start asking a question. Let's start thinking application before we touch our next two points. What kingdom will you trust? Will you continue going for self-rule? Will you continue to, to, to trust the kingdoms of the world? Maybe you can ask, ask it like this. Who will you trust to shoulder the very thing that your soul needs? Forgiveness, the end of war, the forgiveness of your iniquity, the wonderful counseling that you need, the mighty God that you need, the everlasting Father that you need, the Prince of Peace that you need. And when the pressures and powers of this world press in closely, who will you press into? Because how you answer that question of what you believe about Jesus and who he is and his kingdom will direct the course of your life and will determine whether you experience the hope and peace that you so desperately long for. And so he makes it clear to us that this is the true king. This is the unending king and there's nothing in the world That is more powerful than this king. There will be no end, it says in verse 7. So not only is this the true king and the true kingdom, point number two this morning, this is the everlasting kingdom. Do you see the promise that the prophet Isaiah gives? That this kingdom will have no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So not only is this the true king, we've already established that this king is God. He is the everlasting one, the one who is the king. And so not only is it the true kingdom, but it is the everlasting kingdom that is promised. So so here's a couple points about the everlasting kingdom. This means that of this king, there will be unending rule. 
There's no end to the rule of this king. And what Isaiah is promising is the long-awaited covenantal promise fulfillment that God gave to King David. Wonderful King David who would one day die. God told him and made a covenant with him. A covenant means that God makes it and God will see that it is kept even if it cost him his life. He said in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that of your kingdom, David, I will raise up one after your offspring whose rule will have no end. And so all these promises that were given to David of an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that's better than David's kingdom, a more glorious kingdom, are all fulfilled in Christ. This promise of a throne that's not an earthly throne, this promise of the eternal king coming to earth and reigning over his kingdom here and now is yes in Jesus Christ. In that manger is the king of kings and the lord of lords. The wise men recognized it. King Herod recognized it. If we see the gospel of Jesus Christ, we recognize it and we lay down our lives before him knowing that he is the everlasting king. Matthew makes this abundantly clear. He gives the genealogy of Jesus, how he comes through the line of David. The angels make it clear. For unto you is born this day, where? In the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. The angels are proclaiming that this is the everlasting king whose rule will have no end. And not only, so point number two under this everlasting kingdom, not only will his rule have no end, but this will mean unending peace and increase. Unending peace and increase. This word increase means the expanse of his government will have no end. There will be no pockets of rebellion outside of his say. And when the new heavens and new earth come, there will be nothing to stand in the way of his rule and reign. Of the increase of peace, there will be no end. So this means of our king's kingdom, there will be no diminishing, only increase forever and ever and ever. Here's what this means. That the light of the world has come. And it cannot be overcome. It cannot be extinguished. It cannot be put out. The light of Christ has come and his radiant glory will continue to fill this earth as the gospel goes from one person to the next and one person to the next. God shines the light of his gospel into their dark hearts and and makes a new creation out of them. More and more people fill this earth with his glory. And the Bible says that when he comes back, All of the earth will be filled with his glory and that glory will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. His kingdom's glory and light will only increase from this time forth and forevermore. And this will all be on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. This child shoulders this burden. This child shoulders the burden for the longing for perfect rule, for the perfect king. All of these promises hinge upon Jesus and everything hangs on what kind of king he will be. So the third point. He is the true king. He is the everlasting king. But this hinges on what kind of king he is. Because if we are ruled by a true king 
an everlasting king that's like the Assyrians, or even like our governments now, we are in a a deep heap of trouble. Because we don't want that to multiply throughout this world. We want the glory of God. We want peace. We want hope. We want true satisfaction and glory to multiply throughout this whole world and to be done so by a good king. Isaiah has good news for people who are in gloom, who have a worldly government pressing in on them. He will uphold it. Look at what it says in verse 7. With justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Behold him. His kingdom doesn't increase by the power of of the sword. His kingdom doesn't increase by any other way than humbling himself to the point of death and taking the sword for us. Our king is righteous, and he is our righteousness. He himself is righteous. He himself is our peace. Not only is he righteous, but he becomes sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The reason he took on flesh is because you and I have flesh and blood so that he can lay down his life for those who have flesh and blood to release us from sin and death once and for all. And he's done it. He's the righteous king, and he is our righteousness. He is the just king. He does everything right. He does everything fairly. He does everything graciously. He is the just, and the Bible says he is the justifier of sinners. So sinners who are in gloom, praise God, your king has come. He is just. He is everlasting. He is true, and he is your justifier. He makes you right before God. This king is good. This king came for us. This king went low for us. This king was lifted up for us. This king was buried for us. This king rose again for us. This king at this very hour, he took on flesh and he has ascended bodily into heaven. And this king at this very hour, the Bible says, intercedes for us. And this king is coming back for us to once and for all fill this earth with his glory. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but so that the world might be saved through him. This is a good king, a righteous king and a just king. And this king is coming back for us. How can we be sure this will all happen? This had to be a question for the people in Isaiah's day. It would be some 700 years, not 11 years, but 700 years before this would be fulfilled. In fact, for 400 years, there was silence before the angels broke out in song and say, for unto you was born this day. They were waiting and waiting and waiting. Will this ever happen? Maybe you feel like that in your life. Like, when will I ever experience the peace and the hope and the joy that is promised? When, when, when? How can I be sure this will happen? How can I? The world's big. There's great powers in this world. 
People like Assyria still exist in some way, shape, or form. History is long. It's messy. Doesn't even the patience of God run out? Here's the amazing truth about all of these verses. Is that here's the promise. The zeal, the jealousy, the passion of the Lord. He will accomplish this. Christmas is a time to remind ourselves and to remember that God loves to do for his people what they cannot do for themselves. And his own mighty hand and his mighty love will accomplish it, and it has in Christ Jesus. He went low, he went into a manger. He left the glories of heaven to dwell among us so that we might behold the glory of God so that we too might be raised up to new life. And he seals it with a promise, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This means that God's passion for his glory is driving this. This means that God will never get tired of saving people. That his kingdom will just increase from one generation to the next. This means that God will continue to triumph over evil through his people laying down their lives like him and going low. Not flexing with the sword or trying to be more powerful, but being humble like our Savior. For when we are weak, then the power of Christ is known in us. For our Savior went low for us. This means that the needier you and I are for his mercy, we will see him provide his mercy more and more. This means that he is like a father who loves us with an everlasting and eternal love. This means that he gave his child, his son for us, to go to the cross. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his sheep and for his friends. So, God will accomplish this. He accomplished it for us in Jesus Christ. He will bring us unending hope and peace, and his kingdom will have no end. The last thing I want you to consider, how do you get get in on this gift? How do you get in on this glory? How do you get in on experiencing this unending hope? How do you get in on the comfort of Isaiah chapter 40? Comfort, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to my people. For the war is over, their iniquity is is pardoned, the glory of the Lord has been revealed. How do we get in on this? Is it like a kid on Christmas morning opening up this glorious gift and saying, I knew I would get this because I deserved it. (laughs) Does it look like that? Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 55, It says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. 
Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Here's the point. That this great gift of Christmas, this great gift of the true king, the everlasting king, the good king, is for anyone who knows their thirst and need for the true, everlasting, and good king. It doesn't require fitness. It doesn't require a resume. It simply requires your need of him and knowing your gloom, knowing your darkness, knowing your sin, which is revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. It simply is coming to him and experiencing that hope unending. Because our hope doesn't rest on our performance. Our wonderful direction doesn't depend upon our wisdom. Our might doesn't depend on ourselves. That is not on our shoulders. Our love is not dependent upon our, it's not on our shoulders, not resting on our shoulders. Our peace is not resting on our shoulders. Rule and righteousness and justice, it's not on our shoulders. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government, the increase of peace and hope, the unending government is on his shoulders. And that's the good news of the gospel. That he shoulders what we could not shoulder for ourselves by becoming like us in every way yet without Sin. I wonder where you'll be in 11 years. Maybe the circumstances surrounding you at this moment leave you feeling hopeless or indifferent or overwhelmed. But never forget what the zeal of the Lord has accomplished. Never forget what the Lord has yet to do. Don't forget that Christ is coming back and the story that that he is writing will end in glory. Don't forget that even your affliction will prepare you for an eternal weight of glory beyond all of comparison. For those who are in Christ, all glory. So we do not lose heart. For Christ has come for sinners. What will your life look like in 11 years? How will this moment, this Christmas, change your life and direction over the next 11 years? Let's pray.